Amen. Well, sometimes our worry and our anxiety is frankly unfounded. It is uh, foolish, it's ridiculous, it is blown out of proportion, like it was for one woman, an Oregon woman, who called the police late at night. She, I'm sure, had watched too many of those teenager horror movies, and uh, you know the ones where you're convinced the bad guys already locked in with you? Well, she called the sheriff because she was sure that someone, a burglar, was inside her bathroom. She could see shadows underneath the door, and uh, so she was, like, terrorized that there was someone in the bathroom. Well, the police got there, and they called out multiple times for this individual to come out. And uh, when he wouldn't, they called the canine unit, and they forced their way in. And this was what was reported later. With guns drawn, the officers opened a door, only to find one very diligent Roomba. <laughs> Thoroughly vacuuming the bathroom floor. <clears throat> the report went on to say that the suspect was not taken into custody, but was sentenced to a lifetime of domestic servitude. Yes, frankly, most of what we are worried and concerned about are much like the Roomba stuck in the bathroom. They are unfounded, and they are ridiculous. But occasionally, there are real things that happen to us. There are real concerns, there are real dangers, there are genuine fears and genuine problems that happen in our lives. And uh, today, we're going to face one of those. And it's a very familiar story to you. It's told in three of the four Gospels, and it's the very familiar story of Jesus in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's in Matthew 8, and I'd ask you to turn there because I need you to have your Bibles open. Um, as you know, it's, it's super familiar. You also know it's one of Pastor Mike's favorites. Yes, we do have the Rembrandt painting at our house. Um, you read it in your DBR just this very week in the book of Mark. And uh, most of you already know that uh, the disciples let the storm derail them, frankly. Um, it got the best of them, and they failed in the storm. But Jesus is hoping for something better from us, something different from us. He doesn't want us to fumble the ball. He wants us to walk out of our next storm without regret. So he gave us this story to help us. In verse 23, the story begins. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? And then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, and they said, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The disciples were in an incredibly dangerous and scary situation, there is no doubt. 
but Jesus was beside them, and he fixed it all. That's the entire story. You've got it all right there. That's it. But the problem is that we don't want to have the natural response. We don't want to curl up in a ball in the fetal position and weep. That would be the natural response to these kinds of things. We want the supernatural response because we're God-fearing women. And we want to have, um, even in real troubles, we want to have real faith. And we want to have real obedience. And we want to fight and we want to win next time the storms tower over our heads. And to get the right perspective on it, I think we got to back up a little bit. That's why I have you in Matthew 8. Um, we got to talk about what happened in the minutes leading up to this event. In verse 18, we see that there's a crowd. A crowd has gathered and Jesus has been healing and he's been doing that all day long. It was an incredibly long day of ministry when he tells the disciples to find a boat and to get ready to go. And that's the time when a scribe comes up to them and says, I'll follow you. I, I want to be part of your team. I'll follow you wherever you go. And if it was us, we would assign him up for everything. Partners, connect, <laughs> abide. What do you fit in, right? I mean, that's, this is your dream person. I'll follow wherever you go. Um, but see, Jesus knew the motivations of his heart. And Jesus, Jesus knew that um, things like home, stability, reputation in the community were much more important to this man than following Jesus. Um, he knew that this man was not Adipat, as we call it. And so he said, if you come with me, you're not even going to have a home. You're not even going to have a place to stay. And that's when another guy comes up. And this guy now approaches him. And the Bible makes it clear this man is already part of their group. He's already called among the disciples, maybe like one of us in this room. And this time, he asks permission to go to the funeral of his father. Sounds reasonable enough, right? But again, Jesus knows his heart, and he says, because he knows that uh, this man's priority is his family. And so he says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, we don't know if that man's father was on his deathbed, or we don't know if that man was just looking for a more convenient day in his life to fully commit to following Christ. But either way, Jesus knew, and he knew that that man loved his family more than he loved Jesus. So these two hesitated. These two made excuses. These two were not real disciples. They were not real Christians. They were not real followers of Christ. But there were some on the shore who were. And verse 23 says, and that's our story, that he, that is Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. These are the true disciples, the real Christians, the ones who had left houses and lands, the ones who had left mothers and fathers to follow him. And it says right here, they followed him into the boat. But you realize that means that Jesus led them into the boat. What? Jesus led his real followers, real Christians, those who had left everything to follow him, right into the biggest, baddest storm they had ever seen. 
He walked him right into it, knowing it was coming. He knew it, but they didn't. They followed him in because that's what disciples do. They follow Christ. And from that, we can see that not only does God allow trouble, but God actually leads us into trouble at times in our lives. It's going to be an important preview for the disciples and, frankly, for the rest of us, that if you're a real follower of Christ, this is what's ahead of you. Trouble, uncertainty, difficulty. It's going to be a normal part of every disciple's life. God is going to use this story to prepare us because he does not want us to be taken off guard. He knows every speed bump you're going to hit. He also knows every hurricane that's coming your way. And he wants you to be ready for it. He wants you to expect it. He wants you to, point number one, don't be surprised by difficulties. Don't be surprised by difficulties. It seems cruel. It seems cruel of Jesus to know our troubles and walk us right into them blindly. But see, that's the thing. Um, Just because we can't see them doesn't mean he can't see them. He knows they're there. And uh, our only job, no matter what's asked of us, our only job is to follow him into the boat. That's it. We're supposed to follow him. That's what disciples do. They follow him. Whatever boat or storm he chooses, they follow him. And we must remember as he leads us into the boat that he's also led hundreds, thousands, even millions into those kinds of boats before us. And then he's plopped right down next to them in the storm. The Bible is very clear for what all disciples should expect. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, right, will be persecuted. They hated me, they will hate you. And here's one, just to get us started, to to become a Christian, you must deny yourself. Does that sound like a day of shopping in La Jolla? (laughs) Deny yourself and wait, take up your execution rack and follow me. Right? That, that's what he promised. That's what the Bible says. Besides that, the Bible says the ground is cursed while we live on this planet, which means our life and our work is going to be very difficult and hard. Death and eventually, our disease and eventually death is going to follow every single one of us. A sword is going to divide even some of our own homes as some follow Christ and some don't. Um, all those things are promised. And then, because we have a We are flesh, but we have a remade spirit inside of us as well. We're going to be battling it out to do what's right. Every day we're here on the planet. We're going to be trying to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. All those things are going to be true of us while we live here. Life for a Christian is not going to be idyllic on earth. But someday it will be. We're promised that someday there will be no more pain, no more problems, no more fighting sin, No more foes, new bodies, no more suffering. And we're going to have a closeness with Jesus that we have never had before. Even though some of our trips across the Sea of Galilee right now are going to be riddled with storms. Okay, what's this one all about? Verse 24 says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, 
so that the boat was being swamped by waves. The Sea of Galilee is really just a lake. It's eight miles across and 12 miles high. It's just a lake. It's actually not even a very big lake. And it's interesting because every place on the shore and every place in the lake, you can see the entire shoreline. It's visible from every single spot. You can see the whole thing. Doesn't seem very impressive. Another interesting thing about it is that it is 700 feet below sea level. That's the altitude of the Sea of Galilee. Just to give you a frame of reference, Death Valley is 300 feet below sea level. So it's almost twice as low, but below sea level. Now, I'm, I'm sure that if you picture the Sea of Galilee, if you've gone with us, yay, great, you can see it in your mind's eye. It's amazing. Lord willing, we'll be going back there. Well, someday, right? But <laughs> sooner than someday. Um, there's a lot of rolling hills. That's where you picture the, the Sermon on the Mount being given. But on the east side of the lake, there's also some tall um, cliffs and mountains where the height is up to 2,500 feet. That is the reason that these storms can happen. Because see, at, at, at lake level, sea level, it's not sea level, lake level, um, it's, it's more like Palm Desert. It's like, a, it's like an oasis, it's warm. It's mild climate. But because of this discrepancy between that 700 below and the 2,500 above, cold air rushes over the mountaintop. And you know, I'm not the chemistry major, but you know what happens with warm and cold air because when you turn the heater on it in your house, it gets really hot on the second floor, but you're freezing in your family room, right? Heat rises. Okay, well, when that cold air comes over the mountain and down to the lake, it displaces the warm air on the lake because the cool air drops. That's what causes the storms. And it causes radical storms in an instant on the Sea of Galilee because of that height differential there. Now, many a tourist has stood on the side of the Sea of Galilee and gone, this has got to be a piece of fiction. This story that we're doing today, it's just too far-fetched. This is this idyllic little picture. There's no way that's happening. Only to have 20 minutes later, all of a sudden having waves crash on the shore and white caps and seeing waves crash into the city walls there on the Sea of Galilee and spray water 200 feet, 200 yards or more because it can happen in a moment there. The word for storm here is actually the word earthquake. Earthquake. And... Uh, it's like all the other earthquakes you know in the New Testament. When the earth quakes and Peter is released from prison. In the book of Acts, we studied it recently. When Paul is also in prison, singing hymns with Silas and all beaten up, and the earth quakes and the gates are open, and the Philippian jailer goes, everybody's still in there, right? When Jesus dies and the earth quakes and people come out of their tombs, weird story, um, earthquake, same word. Except now we got water involved. So now it's like this. Right? It's not just an ordinary storm. It's a monster of a storm. Because it's like an earthquake happening on top of that lake. Um, Matthew says that the waves are breaking over the boat. Luke says it's filling the boat. Matthew says it's swamping the boat. 
The biggest wave on the Sea of Galilee was recorded in 1992, and it was 10 feet tall. 10 feet tall. That's from the trough. That's from when it goes below the water line, right? When a wave sucks some water out and you're going down. From the trough to the crest, 10 feet tall. Two of me. Okay, I, I, even if you don't think that's not anything, it's something, it's something, especially when you're in a rowboat the size of an SUV. 10 feet. Um, it's even brutal on a modern motorized boat. I remember a day like this. Um, Pastor Mike was a young whippersnapper. <laughs> Probably a year after that picture. Brand new youth pastor in San Clemente. And uh, we did what we what I'll call affectionately our very first revival. And we were tent camping at Lake Powell. We took the youth group tent camping at Lake Powell. I don't know if Sabrina is here, if you were on that trip. You here, Sabrina? Not that one. Other Sabrina. Were you here? Were you on that trip? Oh, yes. Sabrina Hensby. Sorry, wrong Sabrina. That one. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Mike, preacher by night, boat driver by day. <laughs> he did it all. And... Uh, we were tent camping in a cove. If you've been to Lake Powell, the only way I can describe Lake Powell is to say the Grand Canyon. Just imagine the Grand Canyon. Now make the Colorado River fill it all in. It's a lake with the Grand Canyon all around it. It's magnificent if you've never been there. It's actually 180 miles long, stretches across Utah and Arizona. The Grand Canyon, full of water. So there's all these little coves. We find a little abandoned cove, and we set up camp there. And during the day, we go out and water ski. We rent this little ski boat. It's not like we have this little group, this little ski boat. Okay. So we're out skiing, and all of a sudden, it gets choppy. Lake Powell's pretty big. If you've ever been there, it, I mean, I told you it's big. But there's all these little coves, but the center is really big, much bigger than the Sea of Galilee. And um, <clears throat> it's getting choppy. So we go, oh, okay, um, we should pull the kids in, students in. So we pull them in, and pretty soon there's a wave, and rocking, hey, this is fun, you know, like. <clears throat> and then like, you know, a minute or two later, it's just not so fun. Everybody's grabbing their life jackets, you know, it's just like a, there's a moment of concern. <clears throat> You're thinking, okay, this, this, is, this is a big deal. You know, and within, it seemed like two minutes, we're, you know, going nosedive straight down into the lake, and then not two seconds later, heavenward, nose died, heavenward. I mean, that's, that's seriously what was happening. And well, let's put it this way. The boat got really, really, really quiet. Um, yeah, it was really, really scary. It's a long ways from the top to the bottom. I have no idea how big those waves were, but it's a long ways from the top to the bottom to the top to the bottom. And we're dipping back and forth, up and down. And, uh, you know, you're bracing yourself. And uh, inevitably, people are falling to the center of the boat. And once you fall to the center of the boat, you're, I mean, there's a real fear that you're going to get washed overboard because every wave, it's just you're being jolted everywhere and it starts filling up with water. And we're like bailing, you know? And here's Pastor Mike, seminary student, you know, <laughs> trying to get us to a place of shelter and um, a place of calm, maybe over by a cliff. Maybe if we could just get into any cove, it doesn't have to be ours. And uh, it, the waves at Lake Powell, have been recorded at eight feet. Well, I can tell you that the two feet difference between that and what the Sea of Galilee, two feet is an awful lot. <laughs> um, 
These were really big waves at the Sea of Galilee in their, in their little tiny wooden boat. Now, obviously, I love to tell the tale. And we didn't lose a student, or you probably would have heard of it by now. <clears throat> right? Don't send your kids with Pastor Mike. <clears throat> but it was scary, and I will never forget that day on our Sea of Galilee. It was scary and it was terrible. Um, but Jesus wants his followers to know that in the future you're gonna face real trouble just like that. And that same churning feeling, what am I gonna do next? But he wants us to be prepared for them. He wants us to be like the 10 virgins, actually only the five that got it right. Because they didn't know when he was gonna show up. You also don't know when the storm's gonna come. So he wants you to bring oil. And he wants you to be prepared whenever it happens. Um, he wants you to weather the storm well. But being not surprised um, by difficulty does not mean you're looking for it under every rock. And you're paralyzed by every fear. That is not what he wants for you. I think of it much more like buying insurance, okay? When you buy insurance, of course, we all want to buy it after the river rises and after the earthquakes and after the burglar comes to your house. But that's not how it works, right? No, you actually have to go to the Geico or Farmers or whatever website and get the insurance before the trouble comes, right? That's what he wants us to do, comes to our troubles. He wants us to have our policy sitting right in our back pocket when they show up. So I have three suggestions for you today to how to be as prepared as possible because you don't know what tomorrow brings. So here are three patterns to start in our life right now. A, B, C. A, obey today. Obey today. That, that's pretty simple. Obey today. That means whatever it is that you know you're supposed to do, do it now. Frankly, you come from Compass Bible Church, you already know a lot of things you're supposed to do. So do them. It's pretty, it's brilliant, Carlin. Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> sorry. Um, if you know, you know that you should be getting up early in the morning and spending concentrated time in prayer with God, do it. You know you should be learning the gospel and inviting people to church. We've been studying the book of Acts for over a year, ladies. Do it. You know that you're supposed to do that ministry post. You know it. You know that every Christian should have a post. Some of you know you shouldn't be in the post that you're in right now. You should be in another one. Whatever it is, do it. Some of you are in the parenting class. Frankly, you have not been doing things right, and you know it. Do it now. Some of you know that you should be ripping up a debt that you have against someone who may be even in this room right now, sitting over there. You don't look at them, but you hold a grudge against them. You know what you're supposed to do. Rip it up. Do it now. Obey today. Because you know what? <clears throat> if you flex those muscles of obedience now, um, you're going to find more success doing it when the wind starts to blow and you have to do harder things. The next one, letter B, is root spiritual disciplines in your life now. Root spiritual disciplines in your life now. I mentioned to Stephanie when we were preparing this how, well, kind of lame we both feel because 
honestly, nothing you're going to hear this weekend, you're going to go, aha, that's the secret. No, it's all very simple. Root spiritual disciplines in your life right now. It's all very simple. Um, We need things in our lives, our prayer time, our Bible study time, all of that. It needs to be so ingrained in your life that nothing changes it. No storm can change it. It's, it's like um, why I hope all of us do a little bit of exercise. Because you know what happens? It doesn't take very long to have if no activity for your muscles to atrophy. I mean, if COVID taught us nothing, it's that. My mom got COVID this fall, and for four weeks, COVID and pneumonia, and I can just tell you that it takes so little time for strong, healthy muscles to not be anymore because they're not moving. The same thing's true for you spiritually. It takes only a day or two for you to not be as strong as you should be if you don't have your spiritual disciplines rooted. I always say it, I'm gonna say it again, 2020. This is minimum, ladies. You need to be doing 20 minutes of reading every day and reading your Bible. Maybe talking to other people about it, maybe texting someone. You need to be doing 20 minutes of concentrated prayer, and not just for you. <laughs> concentrated prayer for others. Worshiping God, whatever, all kinds of different things you can do in prayer. And 20 minutes of Bible study. Bible study, questions, tanning, where you're digging deeper for principles. 20, 20, 20, that's the minimum. I know some of you are doing 60, 60, 60. Yay for you, I'm so glad. But that's the minimum. Root them in your life. Master your schedule now when the heat is not on so that when it is, your muscle memory will kick in. The letter C, invest in godly friendships today. Invest in godly friendships today. You're here, yay. You're investing in godly friendships right now, but don't let it stop today. Keep spending time with these gals at home. Keep investing in them. Keep talking about spiritual things, not just because you're at retreat. Um, I mean, talking about organizing tri- tips and new, new drawer organizers, which I do have at home in my kitchen. That's really exciting to talk about. But talk about other things. Talk about what you're fighting. What sin are you fighting? What are you learning? Make sure you're doing that with the people that you um, interact with every day, every week. Grow together because you're going to need each other. When the wind blows, you will need her and she will need you. All of these are just insurance policies. We invest in them now for a stormy day later. But frankly, when you buy insurance, do you pull it out every day? Read it over. Memorize it. Write songs about it. No. You put it in a drawer for another day, for the day you need it. Right? Okay. The day is here. The storm has arrived. Verse 24. There arose a great storm on the sea, and the boat is swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went, and they woke him, and they said, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Wow. Okay, they're in the midst of this rager. And Jesus is asleep. He's not all balled up. He's not frantic. He's sleeping. He's unconscious. Uh, um, how is that even possible? I mean, it's rocking and rolling, right? Everybody's getting thrown around. I want to be 
at peace, not panicked like that, don't you? What's the secret, Jesus? Um, How is it possible? Well, people have explanations for this. Some people say it's because he's so exhausted from his days of ministry. Okay. I'm sure he is. But that's not it. How do I know that? Because the disciples live through the same days. And that's not what they're doing. We already said Jesus knew the storm was coming. He knows it's coming. And he curls up in a little ball and nods off. That's what you're doing when you know some horrible thing's happening in 20 minutes? Just nodding off. No, No big deal. No. I think, it's my opinion, I think he fell asleep for only one reason. I think he fell asleep because he trusted his dad. His father is in charge. His father is sovereign. And I think he could sleep because he knew that. He slept because he trusted God. And watching him in the storm be asleep truly is the key to overcoming our anxiety. Because on sunny or stormy days, we have to, point number two, trust God more in your troubles. Trust God more in your troubles. Trust God more in your troubles. I know this is not revolutionary. I know some of you were coming hoping for a magic pill. I I wish I could give you one to just make this whole thing go away. Solve all my anxiety problems, just take this pill. Um, It's not that simple, you're right, it's not that simple. Um, Jesus falling asleep wasn't magic. It was a whole bunch of hard work. That's all it was. And we need to grow to trust God more so that we can be so calm that we can fall asleep no matter what is happening next. Because Jesus did it, I know I can do it. The storm was fierce, but Jesus was at peace because his dad was in charge. His dad was in charge. He knew that nothing was going to happen to him that was outside of God's sovereign plan for his life. Not one minute of his life would happen to him unless it was part of God's plan. And Jesus knew, obviously, that his job in life, so to speak, was to fulfill the promises of God and to die for the sins of the whole world. And him drowning on the Sea of Galilee would not have accomplished that. So Jesus knew 100% that he was perfectly safe. Now you're going, okay, but how are we so, we're so hard on the disciples. I mean, Jesus might have known it, but they didn't. Really? Um, This is in their Bible, Isaiah 53. That's in their Bible, okay? Isaiah 53. They may not have had every specific about it, don't get me wrong, but this is what Isaiah 53, four to seven says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. It was a messianic passage. Everyone knew it. It was talking about the Messiah who would come to pay for the sins of the world, even though they didn't know the specifics. None of that could happen if Jesus sank to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee that day. And they all knew it. They all knew it. Even the disciples knew it. Okay, well, that's fine. Jesus had that guarantee. I don't have that guarantee. Andrew didn't have it. Nathaniel didn't have it. Peter didn't have it. You're right. Neither do you and I. We don't have that guarantee. But I can assure you of this. The date on your tombstone is already written. And there's not a thing you can do about it. If it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. If it's 20 years from now, it's 20 years from now. And you know what? The same is true for your kids. God is sovereign. He already has it all figured out. But he's also good. And he's loving. And he's kind. And he's with you in the storms. Worrying about it won't change a thing. I think it was Greg Laurie, I looked really hard this week, but I think it was Greg Laurie who said this, it's better to be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. It's better to be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. Verse 25 continues, then they went and they woke him saying, save us Lord, we're perishing. Okay, now I'm gonna be honest, I'm totally embarrassed for the disciples here. Jesus is conked out, and they're doing this. You know, they're totally full-blown panicked, full-blown freaked out. It's not pretty. It's shameful, actually, just like it is when we do it. These were professional fishermen, and they were shouting at him and shaking him, save us, we're going to die out here. Mark makes it even worse, because in his gospel, and that's the one where Peter contributed, by the way, This is what he records. Um, Peter remembers that when they were shaking Jesus and waking him up, that someone said this, don't you care that we were perishing? Don't you care? Of course I care. That's insulting. It's insulting to say that to Jesus. He cared so much that he left heaven to come live on earth with us. He left heaven to walk around healing and preaching with this little band of the farthest things from superstars on the planet at the time. Um, And someday soon he would fulfill Isaiah 53 for them and die a brutal death for their sin. Don't you care? Of course I care. I care so much I'm gonna give you everything. And that same God cares just as much for you So on the days when you're caught up in your heap of trouble and you just are paralyzed by it and you're tempted tempted to accuse him of things like Psalm 10, verse 1, where the psalmist says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in my times of trouble? Don't, just don't, don't say that. Don't think that. Don't believe that. It's not true. He is not far off. And yes, he still loves you. 
and he will never give up on you. One of the songs we're gonna sing this weekend, actually, right after this message, captures this perfectly. Speaking of Jesus, this is what it says. It says, you were reaching through the storm, walking on the water, even when I could not see. In the middle of it all, when I thought you were a thousand miles away, not for a moment did you forsake me. After all, you are constant. After all, you are good. After all, you are sovereign. Not for a moment will you forsake me. You were singing in the dark. You were whispering your promise, even when I couldn't hear. I was held in your arms, carried for a thousand miles to show that not for a moment did you forsake me. Every step, every breath, you were there. Every tear, every cry, every prayer. In my hurt, at my worst, when my world falls down, not for a moment will you forsake me. Even in the dark, even when it's hard, you will never leave me. And he won't. So don't believe Satan's lies when he makes you think you're all alone. When he makes you think that God doesn't love you, because it's not true. So don't believe it. He loves you and he's not going anywhere. Back in Matthew 8, um, we got to give the disciples some props because they go to Jesus for help. I mean, at least they do that, right? Um, of course, that's what we should do. But I cannot in any way approve of how they did it. Can you? Um, when we see this, we need to remember that even when we're in trouble, we cannot freak out. We can never demand, we can never accuse, we can never forget our place. Just because we're scared, we gotta remember he's the king of kings, right? Um, you don't, uh, he doesn't answer to you, you answer to him. So you gotta go to him humbly. And I love the element that <clears throat> Matthew 11, 28 to 30 brings in. You know this passage, super familiar. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. But frankly, he doesn't say, <clears throat> when you have troubles, when you're in a storm, just give it to me and I'll take it all. Remember, a yoke has a spot for two oxen to take it. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you take one end and I'll take the other. I'll hold your trouble with you. I'm not taking it away from you, but let's do this together. That's what Jesus says. Let's do this together. And that's how he's always operated. Think of Joseph, Joseph in the book of Genesis. It says God was with Joseph, and everybody knew it. But that didn't mean he was exempt from problems. In order to save Israel and Egypt, Joseph had tons of problems for 20 years. 20 years he had problems. But in Genesis 39, 21, it says this, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Yeah. He promises the same to um, the Israelites in Isaiah 41.10. He says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He promises it to us in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come into him and we will make our home with him. Wow. And here's my favorite, in trouble. Psalm 46, one to three. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though it, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Ladies, if you're his disciple, no matter the storm, he goes with you. When the disciples came to Jesus, panicked, what did he do? Well, verse 26 says, he let the storm continue to blow. And he turned to them. Do you think that's weird? <laughs> it's like, okay, he didn't deal with the storm, he dealt with them. And he turned to them and he said, why are you afraid? Uh, frankly, there's a big wave about to crash over your head, that's why I'm afraid. Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? It's like he's saying, it's me, I'm the son of God. I, I, you think a little storm is hard for me? I can do anything. You've seen me do anything. And then he says what to me is like the massive death blow of this whole thing. Oh, you of little faith. I cannot think of anything more shameful to come from the lips of my Savior about me than those words. Oh, you of little faith. And because it's so familiar to us and sounds so spiritual, I'm not sure if we realize what that actually means. Of course, we know that faith means trust. But imagine thinking this. Imagine being one of the players in this. It's like Jesus is saying to them, oh, I get it, guys. You just don't trust me. Ouch. You just don't trust me. That's why you're all balled up, because you just don't trust me. Ouch, that hurts. It's not good when we do it to him either. It's not good when we don't trust him either. This is in sharp contrast to something that happened just a few minutes before they got in the boat. Back in Matthew 8, remember I told you I wanted you to keep it open? There's another story. Starts in verse 5. Verse 5 to verse 13. It's a story of a pagan, a Roman, non-Christian centurion who comes to Jesus and says, hey, my servant's sick, and uh, I need you to heal him, Jesus. He obviously has heard about Jesus. Um, and Jesus, I guess, starts to get up to go with him. And the guy goes, oh, no, no, you don't need to do that. He says, just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. It's like long-distance healing, right? And the Bible says that Jesus marvels at him as opposed to what he's going to feel like for the 12 in the boat with him in a few minutes' time. He marvels at him, and he says in verse 10, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And that was a non-Christian, a pagan. There's another story in uh, Mark 9 where an Israelite dad brings his son who has an evil spirit for Jesus to heal, and he says, If you can do something, Jesus, please do it. And Jesus is insulted. He says, if I can do something, of course I can do something if you believe. And that's when that man says famously, I believe, help my unbelief, or help me to trust you more. The funny thing, ironic thing, is the thing that will grow your faith more than anything is a storm. It's a storm just like this. This is what's going to grow your faith in Christ more than anything. Because when you get to the end of your rope, that's when you stop trusting you. And your intellect, and your bank account, and your thoughts, and your feelings... It's when you stop trusting your husband, or your job, or your health. You've always had good health, right? So, of course you're going to trust that. 
It's when you stop trusting everything else. It's when you stop trusting the doctors and the procedures and the medicines and you only trust him. It's Psalm 27 and 8 trust. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and we stand upright. I urge you to trust him more. And the climax of the whole thing happens in verse 26. Jesus rose and rebuked the winds and the waves and there was a great calm. He rebukes the storm or he expresses strong disapproval of it and tells it to stop. And it does in an instant and he doesn't even need five minutes. Boom, the waves are gone. The white water just dissipates. Great calm, the Bible says. Because Jesus has the power over every atom in the universe. Don't be afraid. God can do anything. He did that. He can do anything that you need him to do. Now when you feel yourself freaking out, I could give you a whole list of things to do. And you know I'm good at that. It's my forte. Yes, you could put on worship songs. Yes, you could go in your prayer closet. Yes, you could spend time with a godly friend. Yes, you could take a nap. All those things. But I'm going to make one suggestion. One suggestion when you start to feel like you're freaking out. I want you to get your eyes off yourself and put them on somebody else. Whoa, that sounds counterintuitive. Let me tell you why. I have a friend. She told me this story this week and uh, blew my mind. She's going through her own hurricane and uh, having some lab work done this week. And frankly, she's so sick right now. She's so nauseous right now that she has to carry a plastic bag with her everywhere she goes, just in case she gets sick. She's sitting there getting some lab work done and... Um, you know how it is. Sometimes there's this huge line and it just takes forever. And here's this poor woman sitting here with her plastic bag waiting to get her blood drawn. And she walks person after person. And at one point she sees this lab tech just being blasted by some other patient because they forgot the guy's orders or something. She goes, I'm going to make this moment count for Jesus. She decides she's going to point someone to Jesus. So she waits there with her little plastic bag till so it's her turn to go up and she finally talks to the lab tech and she says to him, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened to you and um, I just want to encourage you to just shake it off. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't need to go home and kick your dog or be, be mean to your wife and just, you know, just let it go. Just let it go. Jesus loves you and I'd love to invite you to come to my church, Compass Bible Church and changed the whole guy's day. She walks out. She said, I had decided before this all happened that I was going to use my storm for Jesus. I was going to leverage my pain for him. And she says, you know, when I did that at that moment, she said, it didn't change anything about my circumstances. She said, but it did change me. And... That's it. I mean, I can't promise you anything that's going to change anything about your life and your circumstance and your storm and how horrible it is for you right now. But if you point other people to Jesus, it will change you. And you will trust him more. Even when you just get your eyeballs off yourself for just a minute or two in your storm. Now, trusting God in the storms is obviously is an obvious takeaway. 
But so is this last point, which is going to come from verse 27. It says, and the men marveled, and they said, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus just made the biggest storm these guys have ever seen disappear in an instant, right? No white caps, nothing, all calm. They're in mortal danger, and now they're not, just because he told it to. <laughs> and they're blown away, of course, as we all would be if it happened to us. And that means the only appropriate response to having this all disappear is for us to show awe and reverence and thanks to the one who did it. And that's where we're going with point number three. Thank God for his faithfulness. Thank God for his faithfulness. These guys thought the waves were gonna sweep them away. The boat was filling up with water. They thought it would sink. They thought there was no hope of ever getting to shore. All hope was lost. They were never gonna make it. Jesus was their only hope. It was very scary, but in a very big way, Jesus came in and fixed it all. He came through, and they marveled, or they were filled with surprise and amazement. Now, to marvel is the same word that Moses felt when he came upon the burning bush. We just go, oh, burning bush, ho-hum, <gasps> okay. We just studied it in Exodus, but you know, think about it. You're walking, you're tending your sheep, and there's a bush that's on fire, but we're used to seeing it like disintegrate, right? be consumed, and then finally it's down to embers and then nothing. It just stood there. Because just like calming the sea, it was a work of God. It was a God thing. Marvel is a word that's used all throughout the Gospels, actually. They marvel at Jesus a lot. They marvel because they see him make people walk, whose muscles have been all atrophied just a minute before. Right? They also see him touch people's eyes, and all of a sudden, blood flow and cell function that maybe never existed in this person's life is instantly changed. They see him, you know, change people's skin. It was decaying and contaminated, and all of a sudden, it's firm. Well, kind of. And uh, strong and healthy again, just like that. They also saw him take evil spirits, and in an instant, he gave that person their life back, their mind back, their life. Everything about them is different because Jesus took away that spirit. They also marveled, not just at physical things, but the logic and the intellect and the teaching of Jesus. He taught about so many things, and multiple times it says they marveled at what Jesus said and uh, how he told them to act. Now, they marveled at him because they experienced God. God in the flesh was right in front of them, and it was astonishing to see what God could do. But there's also a flavor of wonder and a flavor of even fear, as a couple of the other Gospels tell us. In Mark and Luke, they bring up fear at this. Uh, one of them says that the disciples were afraid after he calmed the storm. The other says they were filled with fear they marveled and they were so astonished that they were wonder and they were afraid. They were now more afraid of God in the boat than they were of the storm. Because he's God and every atom in the universe bows to what he wants. Um, and they weren't the first ones to have this experience. This happens in the Bible, we've seen it. We know a familiar passage, Isaiah 6, right? He sees God and he's like, I am lost because he sees the king of kings, right? How about Mount Sinai? We just studied in Exodus. 
the mountain is shaking when the Ten Commandments is smoking. And the Israelites are so afraid, they say, Moses, you talk to God for us. We're going to stand far off because we're afraid. But even this morning's DBR, the story in Matthew 14, but it also was in Mark this morning, where Jesus is walking on the water. You know, Peter gets distracted and starts thinking. Well, he gets in the boat, and in Matthew 14.33, it says, Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They marveled, and they were amazed, and they were thankful, and they were in awe, and they worshipped him because he was God, because of what he did. Not just because he made the storm go away and because they were delivered, but because of the deliverer, because of him, they were worshipping him. He was bigger than any storm, and they needed to pay homage to him, and so do we. Um, Not always because he takes us out of it either, just because of who he is. Verse 27 says, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Um, They didn't have to ask who he was because they knew only God could do this. And they hadn't even had that who do they say that I am discussion. That hasn't happened yet. They already knew he was God, right? He basically just shouted, I'm God. I control every atom in the universe. And they saw it. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Colossians 1, 16 and 17, super familiar passage, but it's the one that says that all things are created by him, visible and invisible. Um, All things were created by him and for him, and he was before all things, and all things hold together in him. That's who planned the storm. That's who beside them in the boat. That's who they can trust. That's who now they worship. That guy. We know him, too. He sits beside us, too, and he helps us, too, and we should thank him even in our most fear-filled circumstances. But how can we do that? It's as simple as giving credit where credit is due and giving him acknowledgement because of what he's done for us. It's one of the reasons why I'm constantly asking you to get a thankful journal or a New Mercies journal going in your life so that you can reflect back on what God has done for you. But I want to shape that even more, and I want to encourage you to look for his faithfulness in your storms. Not just on an everyday sunny day, but in your storms, which I know is hard because if you haven't done it already, you're going to have to think back. But especially in preparation for whatever your next storm is, you need to think back to the faithfulness he gave you last time. It was hard. And, and I know it's going to be, it, it's actually really easy to see when the storm is happening because just like a diamond set against black velvet, his blessings shine. You can see them in the midst of that dark, horrible thing you're going through. But right now, you might have to search your memory for it. But it is important to think back to his faithfulness in your storm. We need to actively and aggressively remember how faithful he's been to us in other storms, how good he was last time, so that we won't be plagued with fear because we've already seen him in action. He's proved himself to us already in the past in things very similar to the storm we're going through right now. So... We know he won't fail us. He won't leave us. He will be attentive to our cry because he has been before. Think of those things. Record those things. Believe those things the next time the waves start to churn up. 
If you ponder his faithfulness in past pain, it's going to give you peace instead of worry when you come to your next one. And, and it won't be just because some verse said it. Not that I'm knocking verses, of course. I could give you a boatload of them, right? His grace is sufficient. And I myself have been content in weaknesses, distresses, difficulties, calamities, because when I am weak, he is strong, right? And I could give you a whole bunch more. But I want you to feel it in your bones, not just because a verse says it, but because you know it. You know it. It's going to help you next time you're afraid. You need to thank him for his faithfulness. Well, our God is the same God as the one in the boat. Whether your storm is COVID, cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, rebellious kids, loneliness, infertility, persecution, or betrayal. He is with you, and he can be trusted. We have to thank him for his faithfulness on the sunny days and the cloudy ones. As one person said, if you've made a habit of communing with God when the sun is shining, you will find it much easier to sing in the rain. Reminds me of a guy I heard of who had a really bad injury, so bad that he was basically flat on his back in chronic pain for months, and it took a long time to recover, but every day his caretaker would take him outside and put him in a wheelchair and set him on this deck so that he could have some fresh air. And the first day they rolled him out there, it was bitterly cold, freezing cold, and he was in his wheelchair, and um, the bird landed on the railing next to him, and just like, you whatever. And the bird was singing, and was like, Where's my shotgun? You know, like, <laughs> he's bothered by the bird. Next day, rolled out there again. This time it was sunny and bright, and he was more bitter. <sighs> this wheelchair, I can't move, I am in pain. Bird comes, lands on the railing right next to him, starts singing, same song. <sighs> Where is my shotgun? But of course he couldn't move, so he wasn't going to be able to get it anyway. But then it dawned on him, the song was the same. Whether it was sunny, whether it was stormy, the bird's song was the same because the circumstances didn't matter. It was that moment that he realized he had a choice. He had a choice to make. He could let his situation dictate his attitude or he could change his attitude and he could choose to thank God and to be joyful because God was there, because God was powerful, because God was good. He knew whether he was in pain or not that he had a choice to make, and that would change everything about his attitude. You and I have a choice to make as well. Um, whether it's sunny or stormy, we have a choice to make. My prayer is that you will choose to be thankful for God's faithfulness, no matter what forecast is coming your way. Now, COVID has changed our lives in lots of ways. We've lost some people, sadly. <clears throat> We've also lost salad bars, which is hurtful to me. <laughs> but one of the things that we have lost that honestly really bothers me is, do you remember those spontaneous um, bear hugs that you used to give each other? There was not even an ounce of <gasps> what does she have? <laughs> what will I get from her? Um, I miss that. You know, it's like, unless you've had a negative test this week, I ain't hugging you. 
Um, that's a bummer. I hate that. But one of the things that I love, that's changed my life about COVID is Amazon Prime. <clears throat> now, I know I'm late to the game. Many of you were Amazon Prime people for that, but I used to actually go out and shop. Now, I stay in my pajamas and do it. Um, I love it. It's awesome. My husband will tell you that I am the reason all the prices go up. You know this about me, especially if you go to the T, because a couple years ago I talked to you about how I, I, I'm the return girl. I'm the one that um, buys things, has no trouble trying them out, and then returning them. Um, and I told you the story of my package that I returned to China that actually came back to me three months later. Anyway, you missed the tea a couple years ago, you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, guaranteed free returns really appeals to a girl like me. <laughs> well, I made a purchase the other day. It was absolutely unnecessary. Um, but I made a purchase because of Matthew 8. I made a purchase because of this sermon. I made a purchase because of this moment. And it's a sign. And this is what it says. It says, give it to God and go to sleep. And it sits in my study now. Give it to God and go to sleep. Hmm. That's what Jesus did. That's what I want to do. It centers my heart on the right thing, no matter what my day looks like. Give it to God and go to sleep. Jesus longs for us to trust him like that, to be able to just be unconscious because we're not concerned about what tomorrow holds. Jesus was, was, was okay that day because he knew he would be okay. And guess what? You're going to be okay too. He has a plan for us. Our job is just to obey him and serve him and yes, trust him until the day he comes back for us. So whatever it is, whatever boat or storm you're walking into, whatever it is, give it to God and go to sleep. I can promise you 2 Peter 2.9 is true. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And he will, whether here or there, whether now or later, he will. You are safe with him forever. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the storms in our lives. They definitely make us um, just think of you in a completely different way and honestly trust you in a completely different way that we never would before. before. It's really hard to thank you in the storms. Um, but I know the women in this room would not be who they are without them. And so we thank you for them. Lord, we know there's probably women in this room that are in a storm right this minute, and uh, they need your help. I pray even for my sisters here that they would scope out those women, and even today, 
that they would be Jesus to them. That they would come along beside them and give them a hug and remind them that they are going to be okay. Even if this storm takes their life, they will be okay if they trust in you. If they're a real disciple of yours, it's going to be all right. Thank you for the storm on the Sea of Galilee and all that it teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen.